And now for a look at Ukraine's rich Jewish heritage, then and now, brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter based in Toronto, Ontario. Ukrainian Jewish Heritage is a series that has been ongoing here at Nasholos for several years now, is sponsored by Ukrainian Jewish Encounter of Toronto. The series, for me and also I hope for Nasholos listeners, has opened a window into the fascinating centuries-old yet little-known history of Jewish life in Ukraine. It has also presented opportunities for dialogue between people of Ukrainian and Jewish descent who are working to make this history better known. Now, speaking to that, I recently received an email from Alison Zivin of the Felshton Society in New York. The Felshton Society is named after a Ukrainian town called Felshton, which today is called Vardiska. It began as a benevolent society organized in 1905 in New York City. And after a brutal pogrom in February of 1919 in Ukraine, in which some 600 Jewish people in Felshton were massacred, the society provided refuge and relief to the survivors. A hundred years later, the Felshton Society is still active and is planning commemorative events to mark the centenary of this tragic historical event. On the line to tell us more about them, the Society, and the history behind it, is the president of the Felshton Society, Alan Bernstein. Alan, welcome to Nasholas. Thanks very much, Paulina. It's great to have you, and it's great to find out about this story and about your society. No idea that um, about it. So tell us um, just a little bit about the background of the Felston Society. The Felston Society was begun in 1905, and it was known as a Landsmannschaften uh, organization, which uh, was formed to provide fraternal and other support to people who came from Ukraine, from this part of the Ukraine. And they got together as, as, as a group of, of neighbors and, and a group of family and, and other um, connections, business connections, and formed organizations to help themselves manage in the new world and also to have the opportunity to purchase burial plots because uh, there were cem- there were no cemeteries available to many of the immigrants that came from uh, Eastern Europe at that time. Hmm. So there were okay. there were many reasons why these uh, why these societies were formed, but those are the primary goals. And so, in 1919, when this ho- these horrible pogroms started, this was an added service that the society provided. Yes, the, the, there were there were additional things once once the pogroms occurred. Many of the people who were part of the society at that time became very active in providing relief to the people who had survived the pogrom. Uh, they were very active in uh, establishing orphanages for the children who were left without parents in, in a variety of different places in in Eastern Europe and. Uh, in Praskurov, a uh, t- town that is now called Kamelnitsky, mm-hmm. uh, and other places uh, where where uh, where there were groups of children that uh, were left uh, alone. So there, were, there was a tremendous amount of relief effort that uh, got carried on after after 1919 by our society as well as many others that were formed from the towns from the many other towns, more than 1,200 towns that were affected by these events. Yeah, they, and they were horrific events. I mean, a lot of people got killed, 
And the world doesn't know about this that much. And so, you know, it's it's good. You, Allison was telling me that, you know, your society is working to commemorate this event because it's a century um, coming up, you know, the centenary coming up next year uh, with with events. So why don't you tell us a little bit about um, about what your the events that are coming up? Uh, well, it's it's true that these uh, these events are are not as popularly discussed as the Holocaust mm-hmm. and as the Armenian genocide and many many of the other uh, uh, terrible things that uh, unfortunately man uh, does to man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have uh, decided several years ago, about probably about six years ago, we started working on this and thinking that that the 100th anniversary of the uh, pogrom was an important date that we should memorialize and and try to mm-hmm. use as an opportunity to shine some light on this uh, on this on these events in history, not only for our town, but for the uh, for the more than 1,200 other towns that were affected by these events and and the more than 200,000 people that were slaughtered in these years because these events did take place over a period of several years. So in our thinking about it, we decided that we, as we have done, we decided that we wanted to have a major event, a day-long conference-type event that would uh, provide people with an opportunity to hear about the, um, the history uh, or the historical context in which these pogroms took place. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the um, concept of the intergenerational transmission of trauma. Mm-hmm. And we're going to also uh, present uh, information about Jewish genealogy and uh, having an opportunity to, uh, for people to talk about how to establish family trees. Because when people go through these kinds of horrible uh, situations, uh, often family history and family roots are terribly disrupted. So mm-hmm. part of our, part of our, what we feel our mission is to try to help people reconnect with their roots, to try to find their way toward uh, rediscovering uh, their ancestors and um, having a better sense of, of where they came from, because uh, mm-hmm. many people have have really not given adequate attention, in mm-hmm. my in my opinion, to really where they came from. It um, it never mm-hmm. fails to amaze me that practically whoever I run into uh, in New York, I live in New York, so practically whoever I run into in New York, and I tell them about our society, or I talk to them about what our plans are for the centennial event. They say, oh, you know what? I have a relative who came from there. Or my husband has uh, people who came from a town. And I asked them what the town was, and they say they don't know. Oh. <laughs> or they don't. So it's, it's, uh, it's something that we really uh, took to heart and began to take very seriously. And since we had a group that was relatively intact because we have 250 members in our society, we felt it was important for us to be able to help other groups reconnect in the way that we were reconnecting with our past. Well, I, that's uh, certainly an 
an admirable thing to do because people don't know about this and even, you know, descendants don't know about this. And, uh, you know, really, I think I had a vague recollection, and probably most people do, from Fiddler on the Roof, right? The the story of, you know, of that shtetl and people leaving it because of, of the pogrom. And it wasn't just people coming in and, you know, smashing up their home. It was it was actual wholesale slaughter, and it happened in more than one village. And there are no more shtetls, really, in Ukraine, are there? I mean, Felshton really is kind of the the story of the disappearance and, well, extinction, really, of the shtetl in Ukraine, isn't it? Uh, well, we went back to the town in 2010 because our group uh, erected a monument both for the victims of the pogrom and for the v- victims of the Holocaust because, as it turned out, although there were 600 of our uh, people slaughtered in 1919, when the Nazis came in and the Holocaust took place, they unfortunately slaughtered the rest of the Jews that were living in the town at that time. So there were were two purposes, and we have a monument that's now standing that both pays tribute to the people who were killed in the pogrom as well as the people who were killed in the the Holocaust. So the town itself is a rural town. It's a farming town. People are still using horses and buggies, Mm -hmm. and it's probably still very much like it was uh, in many respects 100 years ago, probably with a few light bulbs and TVs. Mm -hmm. But but the town and and its character still remain relatively intact, but certainly without the Jewish element. Yeah. There, There are no Jews in that particular town. That's that's just so tragic because it mean probably the history would have gone back centuries. Yes, yeah. that's very true. Yeah. So you've got this commemorative event, like a full day conference coming up, and um, Allison also mentioned that you have another program called "Who Will Light a Candle." What's that all about? Well, we have uh, we're we're a very small group. I'd say our labor capacity is very limited, mm-hmm. but uh, we have a, we had this idea that uh, one of the things that would really offer us uh, an opportunity to expose uh, people to this idea and the ideas of uh, these events in, in the past, uh, one of the things that we thought was a good idea would be if we could get people involved in, in lighting candles. Mm. So as part of our uh, centennial memorial, we are asking people anywhere, really, uh, and of any persuasion, really, to light a candle for one of the people who died. And uh, uh, we're hoping to be able to have uh, 200,000 candles lit, one for each of the uh, people that died. That was... Mm-hmm. That was one of the ideas mm-hmm. that we uh, we had. We're yes. also asking, uh, we're also in the process of reaching out to all the synagogues in the United States mm. uh, and Canada, actually, if we could mm-hmm. get to it. But as I indicated, our, our, our labor pool is, mm-hmm. is, rel- is relatively limited, so we're doing the best we can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we hope to contact every uh, synagogue in the United States and uh, help them understand that uh, we think it's important that they reach out to their congregants and find out who among their congregants might be connected to mm-hmm. these events in history and um, how they might be able to establish a, uh, a day of mourning in their synagogue so that those people who do have family and that came from that part of the world and who may have suffered would have an opportunity to say uh, the Jewish prayer for the dead, which is the, the Kaddish. 
and uh, and then hopefully also light a candle. In addition, we're also beginning to uh, mount an effort to have a uh, a, a national day of uh, remembrance uh, that we uh, will either work through the government or we'll mm. work through uh, actually trying to reach out to the Ukrainian government as well. Oh wow! Uh, yes. That we could have a uh, a national day of uh, remembrance that would would gain some uh, attention uh, publicly. What the whole idea is that we would like very much to um, acknowledge these events. We'd like very much to um, for people to become aware of these events that took place, to remember the people who perished, and to try to shine a, a light of uh, sanity in a world where it doesn't seem like uh, mm-hmm. uh, the value of human life is increasing. It seems to be uh, more and more that, you know, with the uh, tide turning against immigrants, and now we have a a world of 65 million immigrants and what's going to happen to those people you know so much of what uh, what we were able to benefit from uh what because our families were welcomed and our families had families who were here and could support them and provide jobs and housing and things like that and you know those opportunities seem to be um in much less favor than they have been it does uh, yeah humanity does tend to peak and valley doesn't it yeah well. yes well, let's hope that it improves and that what you're doing will help to make people think as well as remember and apply lessons of the past to, to the present so that there's a better future for everyone. The day that uh, you will be lighting the candle uh, and the day of, of um, the National Day of Remembrance, will that be the same day by any chance? And what day on the calendar is it? You know, Paulina, it's, it's an interesting question and some people have brought it up to us because these events took place over time. They took place over years. Mm-hmm. So the February 16th, 2019 is the, the date for Felstein. Okay, gotcha. But for instance, our, our neighboring town, which is Praskurov, it's now, as I said, it's now called Kemelnitsky. Right. That, that pogrom took place three days earlier. Okay. So according to Jewish law, it's supposed to be on a particular day, and we can't, we don't want to dictate that it should just be on February 16th. We're hoping that the synagogues will recognize uh, and help their congregants uh, (laughs) discover their roots and pick the date that they feel is most comfortable for them in the individual synagogues that we're reaching out to to establish a day of mourning. In terms of in terms of a national day, we're we're open. You know, we we feel that you know whatever day we can get, you know, established uh, would be fine because the, as I said, there's such a broad mm-hmm. range of dates in which these events took place. So it really, you know, we're really not. Mm-hmm. We're not quibbling over details in this. Sure, sure. Whatever well, date they assign us, we're happy to take. Okay. <laughs> yeah, with the government generally, you are. Exactly. There you go. I figure uh, that's pretty realistic. Yeah. So then, just to clarify, then the the two hundred thousand candles that you would like lit, would that be on one day or spread out then? Uh, you know, we're we're happy to get the two hundred thousand candles lit. It, according to according to Jewish tradition, it should be on the day that people perished. You okay. know, people, that people passed away. It should be on those days. So, so as I said, somebody from Preskurov would light a candle on February twelfth. Right. We're we're going to do it on February sixteenth. We're, we're not. We're, okay. we're also not going to quibble over details on that as well. Okay. We, the the idea is to is to is to uh, inspire people to remember those who perished 
and to uh, you know to hold uh, their memories in their hearts for that day. And we're we're really not concerned about which day it is. Okay. What do you recommend then for people that aren't Jewish or haven't had didn't have relatives who perished, but would like to light a candle in solidarity? What do you have any suggestions or requests? Yes, or we, we, we're happy to have them join us at the Felstein Society and light their candles on February sixteenth. Okay. Okay. That that would be that would be wonderful, and we're hoping that that people of all of all faiths and all walks of life would be joining us and and sending us their support and their and contacting their um, uh, their clergy people and uh, helping them understand, helping their clergy people understand, uh, you know, the significance of this and why mm-hmm. uh, they would like to, as congregants of any faith, to participate in this. Indeed, yeah, nice. So, at any time of day, of the day, on the on the in the evening, generally, yeah. generally, these candles yeah. are lit in the evening. Yeah, okay, all right. Typically, what a yurtzeit <laughs> candle, which is what the Jewish name for a memorial candle, hmm. is a twenty-four hour candle, and it's lit in the evening, and it's, it's set, set at sundown. Basically, the prayer is said, and okay. and that's when the candle is lit. Okay, so for those who don't know the prayer, just I guess any any prayer, I suppose, any prayer work. will do. Yeah, yeah, any oh. prayer will do. Well, that's great. Well, we're unfortunately running out of time. There's so many more questions I wanted to to ask you about the Felshton Society, but there was one thing: the 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 survivors of Felshton massacres uh, started to record their experiences into a book. Tell us about the Yiscor book. Uh, after the pogroms and after the society had a chance to deal with the horrors that they could in fact deal with with the orphanages and you know and the and the emergency relief and and bringing people to the united states from mm-hmm. from the ukraine after all that subsided the society got together and they decided uh that they would like to record what took place and the, the method that they came up with was that everybody who had an experience should write a chapter, and they'll put all the chapters together in a book. Mm-hmm. So uh, in 1937, which was when the book was published, at that time there was something called the WPA, the Works Progress Administration. Mm-hmm. And that was a, a, a government agency that was formed during the uh, Depression to provide grants to people to do a variety of different things. In many cases, they did wonderful artwork, and in other cases, they did, you know, did other things. But the one thing that we got was a grant from the WPA to write a Yisker book. And the book consists of three parts. It's, it tells stories about the, about the town, about the shtetl, and then it tells stories about the horrors of the pogrom. And there were a lot of eyewitness accounts, mm. people who barely escape with their lives, uh, people who have a lot of stories about who didn't escape and who was uh, a victim. And, uh, and then there are many stories about what happened when people got to the United States and how they established themselves and how the society functioned and how different kinds of internal political debates in the in the society itself. It was a mm. kind of a history of the society. Mm. That book was published in 1937. We're just in the process of a, a final um, revision uh, of the uh, translation that was done about 10 years ago, mm. and uh, we're ready to publish it. Uh, probably by the end of the year, we'll have it published in, in, in a new form, and 
and with uh, new binding, you know, it'll be a mm-hmm. beautiful new uh, publication. Wow, and that will be really useful for anybody. It will actually be a window back in time because it was written so long ago, so, you know, when memories were fresh. And I think it'll, it'll be quite an eye-opener for anybody that wants to read it. So where can people find out more? You have a website, so tell us where people can find you and what's on your website. We have a website. Our website is uh, org. That's F-E-L-S-H-T-I-N.org. We have a lot of things on the website. We have bibliographical material. We have biographical material. We have names of people who perished in the pogrom. Uh, we have a whole uh, series of, of interviews that we've done, oral histories of people who have... Uh, who are first-generation Americans who have seen their families evolve from their parents who were immigrants to the present day. And we've got about six or seven uh, different oral histories that depict what it took for these families to uh, make it in the United mm-hmm. States. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just chock full of, of uh, all the historical documents that we could get our hands on at this time, a lot of first-person stories that aren't in the book are a lot of a lot of news articles about Felstein and about mm. the things that happened uh, subsequent to the uh, pogroms and and up into uh, recent times uh, when we've uh, uh, had the opportunity to uh, do things that mm. that uh, that got published in uh, in local newspapers and and other periodicals and of course, so it's a, mm-hmm. it's a very rich, uh, we're very happy with our website. We think it's great. Yeah, I do too, actually. I visited it, and there's uh, lots, lots of stuff. <laughs> Thank you. I could spend a lot of time there, and I will be doing that. And, Thanks very much. Uh, and so there will be information as well about your upcoming events for anybody that is yes. listening from New York or is planning to visit or, yes. or, or would like to actually make a special trip to do that. I mean, the whole concept, uh, one of the things that really fascinates me, Alan, is, is the intergenerational trauma. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe finally at one point, this is a point in history where we'll look forward. And, you know, I can just imagine all the people that came after all the pogroms, after the world wars, and now as well, fleeing from wars. We don't, we just expect people to come in and, oh, just pick up and, you know, learn our, learn our customs and fit into society and carry on as if nothing happened. And, uh, there's this incredible psychological and possibly physical damage to these people. And we just kind of just push it under the rug and don't deal with it. And I think it's something that needs to be dealt with. So I think you're absolutely right, Pauline. I don't mm-hmm. think there's any question about it. I think the world is looking at 65 million souls who are currently bereft of homes, jobs, education, children who are hungry. You know, I think this is this is a, a I think it's a major a major problem for uh, for humanity, and I think it's something that uh, we have to face. And uh, we hope that with our you know with our little group, kind of a David and Goliath story <laughs> here, but uh, mm-hmm. we hope that with our little group, we can uh, at least shine a little bit of light on uh, on what it took for us to uh, establish ourselves and become part of a a decent society, and and what it what it will take for. Uh, for the world to set itself straight uh, 
another hundred years down the road. <laughs> we can only hope. <laughs> right. Well, well, it was wonderful to have you on the show and, and to meet up with you, and uh, we'll be bringing more information to our listeners about uh, your events and your society. And uh, in the meantime, people can go to your website and um, learn more about it and keep up to date. And uh, there, I imagine there will be updates when things are all finalized. So looking forward to that, Ellen. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to talk, Pauline. It's very wonderful that you uh, allowed us to do this, and I think it's uh, I think it's terrific, and we're very happy about it. Great. Well, same here, and uh, thank you again, and we'll talk to you soon. I'll look forward to it. Okay. Be well. Take you care. Too. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we were speaking with Alan Bernstein, president of the Felshton Society in New York. For more information about the Society, its work, and the history of the Jewish community, or shtetl, in Felshton, visit their website, www.felshton.org, and that's spelled F like in Frank, E-L-S-H-T-I-N dot org. Ukrainian Jewish Heritage is brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter, based in Toronto, Ontario. To find out more about their work, visit their website and follow them on Facebook and Twitter. Transcripts and audio files of this and earlier broadcasts of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage are available at their website, ukrainianjewishencounter.org, as well as at the Nasholos website, www.nasholos.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.